Yo, mic check. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Street Pricing Podcast, the only show where proven SaaS leaders share their mindset and mistakes in pricing so we can all stop guessing and start growing. Enjoy, subscribe, and tell a friend. Now, let's break it down with your host and sought-after slayer of bad pricing, Marcos Rivera. What's up and welcome everybody to another episode of the Street Pricing Podcast. I'm Marcos Rivera and I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an author, also a pricing coach. I love this stuff. I eat it, drink it, sleep all day long. I love pricing. And today's guest I'm ultra excited about because this person has some real pricing stories to share. Former executive at MailChimp at Calendly. This person has done pricing from end to end, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. Today joining me is Srinivas Sumayajula. Srinivas, thank you so much for joining us today, man. Welcome. Marcos, I love it. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you know me. We've partnered a lot on a few things over the few years, and I enjoy talking about this stuff. And yeah, let's get real. Let's get street. We're going to get real and street. First, Srinivas, tell them what you're up to lately because you're GMVP at Tropic now. So just a quick word on that. What do you do? That's right. I love what I'm doing these days. I am the general manager and VP at Tropic over all of our data solutions. So I love sort of bringing transparency to, to SaaS pricing and helping all those people trying to purchase SaaS software just get more equipped with information so they can get the best, the best and right deal possible information. It's still the new oil in my view, right? It's all these oils, but info always uh, takes the top for me. But today I'm going to give you a quick roadmap of where we're going to go into, right? So first we're going to go back into the past. Rewind. Let's talk about a real pricing change that you did. I'm talking the struggles, the success, how you figure stuff out. We want to get real with all that. And then we're going to bring it back to the present here. Talk about what's working uh, from a pricing perspective, what's really, you know, really producing a lot of results for you. And then we're going to go fast forward to the future. So what's next? What's going to change? And at the end, I'm going to come at you and I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite song? Bonus points if it's a 90s hip hop song, by the way. So keep that in the back of your mind here. But first, let's take it away. Let's start in the past. Let's rewind. Srinivas, tell us what you did, man. Absolutely. I would tell you the best experience I had going through a pricing change. And I qualify best as to your words earlier, going through an end to end experience of, you know, coming up with the strategy, doing the research, doing the analysis. And what better story than in a story from Calendly, the preeminent sort of product led growth SaaS software, well recognized brand globally. And I was fortunate enough to work with Topalatana, the founder CEO there in March of 2020. And that date is important because Calendly had tremendous success years prior growing, you know, exponentially just 100% year over year. And then obviously with the pandemic starting in 2020, compounded that growth and, and just a lot of opportunities just given the, the, the nature of the world and everything going remote. Tremendous experience there. So let's talk about that. So when I joined Calendly, I led the product organization and then transitioned to, you know, leading growth and monetization and then ultimately leaving the organization, doing a stint and turn as the strategy and biz ops leader. So lots of experience really understanding the organization from a product perspective, a go to market perspective and bringing sort of that strategic thinking to, to bear, right? So as I started, you know, my, my journey there, uh, Top and I spent a lot of time talking about you know, where's the business going? Where's the product going? What are all the things we want to do? There's a lot of strategic considerations that were at play 
whether it was thinking about international, thinking about going up market, you know, thinking about various different go to market motions, just a lot of balls in the air. And the common thing I found amongst a lot of other things with that to make all of those successful is the most under discussed lever of pricing. And, you know, in my first six months there, after I sort of learned the business, learned the context and, and grew into sort of having an opinion, I brought forward to Tope and said, Hey, I think it's time to look at our pricing and let's go take a look at the strategy there. And just to rewind, you know, and, and remind everybody of, of Calendly, the product led growth brand, highly frictionless, highly viral. At that point in time, there was a freemium offering, which was pretty valuable where a lot of people can get started and, and start getting the value out of Calendly un, unconstrained. But then at the time, we only had two pricing plans. One was called premium. One was called pro. So that's the context. I'll pause there for a second. I remember all that. And listen, man, Tob is a cerebral dude. Like I met him several times. The guy is very thoughtful on everything he does. Shout out to Tope, by the way. He's doing good stuff out there in Atlanta. But the, um, but the big thing here is all the go-to-market considerations. All those can give you different paths, okay, when it comes to monetization. You're thinking about... Uh, further, you know, cranking that engine down there in the virality of the free and the, the sort of smaller ACV type audience. You also have enterprise customers who are now beginning to catch on, right? Sometimes enterprise need a minute, right? To get on there. And yeah. you want to negotiate those sales cycles. Those unit economics are completely different too. So animals are different and you're getting, you're sort of laying out the land, making sure we understand as a company, what do we want before we start going in and making sure that we pick the right pricing uh, techniques and tools. So I love it. Absolutely. Good setup, good setup. Keep going. Yeah. This is a great story. Absolutely. So with that sort of common alignment around the fact that, you know, let's go look at our pricing and understand what's going on. You know, for me, it was around, you know, I felt I had this hypothesis of, you know, Calendly is a great product that's got a very heterogeneous customer base. To your point earlier, we've got the one end of the single seats all the way to the upmarket, you know, teams that wanted to use Calendly in various different unique ways. And as I started digging into the data, my hypothesis was, I I have a sense that we're giving away too much value, but it was purely a hypothesis at that point in time. And obviously, we need to go look at the data. We need to look at, talk to customers and really understand whether that statement was true or not. So I set off the journey of the hypothesis there. And, you know, a couple sort of important points as part of that. You know, number one, if you think about a product led growth company and a brand like Calendly, the success of Calendly really anchored on this path of everything has to be frictionless. And when I mean everything, that's, the entire part of the journey, how you sign up, what you see on the website, to that onboarding experience, to that first event type creation experience to achieve that value moment. So we set a principle going, well, why should that be any different when we think about pricing and the conversion and the monetization moment? So first and foremost, it was all about whatever we do, anchor to that hypothesis based on the findings, let's make sure it's as frictionless as possible. So call that a principle, call that an objective, but just anchor into some of these sort of guiding guiding lights, if you will. The second thing was, you know, we had to do no harm to the customers, right? Then that branches off into two parts. One is the net new customers that potentially would come onto this new pricing model. But also, we had a huge base of existing customers that were already using the product. So whatever we did, we had to make sure... We had a packaging and pricing model that 
the existing customer base could migrate onto because we didn't want to put any additional friction, any confusion, any of those sort of barriers in place for the existing customer base. Beyond that, you know, we also did, you know, going into the pandemic, look ahead and say, hey, this is a interesting market opportunity for us to support and enable our growth. So we got to move fast on this. And I'll double click on, you know, why I set that as an objective. Um, and just to give you a sneak peek of what we'll go into, sometimes pricing and packaging changes are very easy to put together on a, on a piece of paper, right? In a PowerPoint, in a Google slide. It's going to meet its constraints once you talk to an engineering team, because monetization infrastructure is almost a second class citizen when you're thinking about product oriented things, but you want to make sure it doesn't become, you know, a handicap for you in the future. So again, going back to the fact that we have to capture that market opportunity. I got to underscore that for a quick second here because you're right. You can sketch out whatever the hell you want in a Figma, on a PowerPoint or whatever it is. It's the actual execution of it that trips up a lot of companies. And the ones that we've seen uh, do really well, do a lot of planning and thoughtful uh, tests and, uh, and prepare their steps to get it out there. Now, the first time, if you haven't changed pricing in 10 years, it's going to be a little bit of a lift. I'm not going to lie, right? Let's not sugarcoat this thing. But after you do it again and again, it gets easier and you start building a muscle around it, which is a big thing that a lot of folks listening today wonder, like, how do I, how do I build a muscle around this? Well, you got to start somewhere. And so that first rollout, as daunting as it may seem, dig in, plan it, put in infrastructure and make sure that you have something repeatable. So I love it. Absolutely. Yep. And then finally, to sort of close it off, again, to double down on this whole um, frictionless experience, you know, as you think about going up market and introducing some of these new go to market motions, universally, I subscribe to this notion of, you know, make it easy to buy, obviously, via the product and, you know, those conversion moments like we talked about, but also make it easy to sell. So for us as a product led growth product at the time, the selling vehicles or channels were obviously the website, the marketing, everything like that. But also, we were building these upmarket, you know, AEs and sales teams to actually be able to communicate the value um, and be able to present pricing, you know, as appropriate. And then, of course, you know, align on the core objectives as of what you're after, right? This is a kernel of a hypothesis that sort of triggered all of this. But the first step beyond that that we did to actually get into the tactical side of the business is. Well, hypothesis is great, but like, what are we really after here? Is it ARR growth? Is it, you know, unit economics that we're trying to impact in some way, shape or form? Is it changing sort of landscape of new channels? And we want to figure out how to make all the channels coexist, just aligning on a set of objectives first. And that's so hard for folks to do. I'm not going to lie. It is hard to sit down and nail it. So I always talk about going from hype to hypothesis, right? So let's push that out there. Let's put something on paper. Here's what I believe, right? This thing will happen, you know, if, uh, if, if these conditions are true, blah, 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 right? You put it down there. You're right. It doesn't have to be perfect. And then from the hypothesis, the guiding lights that you talked about, right? Who are we? What do we stand for? And what do we want as a company? So who do we serve, right? And that those questions, right? Who are we? Like that self-identity and who we want to serve, believe it or not, are very fuzzy in a lot of SaaS companies out there in B2B. Still fuzzy. They found some product market fit. They've gotten some momentum, but they haven't taken the moment to step back and say, okay, is this really where our core main strength skills are meeting the right customer? The economics working on both sides is the scalable, viable, all those big things, right? Absolutely. And so 
because you're fuzzy in that front end area of who you are and who you want to serve, pricing can get really fuzzy too. Even fuzzier if you think about it, right? So I love Absolutely. the guiding light, the hypothesis, and then the infrastructure comment. Man, I tell you, it is not a trivial task to get new pricing out the door, even if you have a small customer base. But what paralyzes so many companies is that they do have a customer base and they're, they're afraid to mess around and update the price. Some of them don't even have the confidence to raise the price because they're not sure if they deserve it. And I'll tell you this because you're, you have a product mind like I do. When you're in, advancing your product forward, when you're adding value, that's a, a wonderful thing and a part of, of software that I love so much, which is why I only focus pricing and software. But here's the thing. When you know your product so damn well, you also know where the shortcomings are, where the skeletons are buried, all the warts on it. And so you kind of feel like, ah, well, until we fix these 85 things, I don't want to charge or raise prices yet. But that's not true from the customer's point of view. Getting more value, you deserve a raise. Go after it. Raise that price. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Absolutely. And and just to double click that a little further, you know, one of the other things sort of I uncovered with this exercise was and put out there sort of a core, sort of a secondary objective is. We do have to scale that monetization infrastructure, not only to support, you know, this pricing change that might happen and to enable the growth, but also to your point, we knew we we're going to have more product innovations. And I didn't know what those product innovations were going to look like and what correlating pricing model I needed to input, right? Is it a seats based? Is it a feature gated thing? Is it a usage meter thing? What those things were. And, you know, I needed the ability to have that infrastructure to then correlate the product innovations and then be able to test and pilot and experiment. So this was sort of the opportunity to have two parallel pathing efforts of one, a no regret move was let's go fix the monetization infrastructure because whether we did a pricing change or not, I still want those other benefits of experimenting, packaging, you know, looking at the product innovations, but also sort of a catalyst was, well, if we do a pricing change, I want that to go as seamlessly as possible. And we were also starting to see the discipline of, well, every couple of years, let's assume we have to at least deliberate pricing strategy. And every couple of years, it can't take a couple of years to go bring it to life. Right. So it was sort of a moment in time where let's capture the opportunity. Let's actually do things the right way to set us up to scale and grow. Every couple of years, it can't take a couple of years. <laughs> that is a good one. I, I, I mean, because when I do talk to some companies, it's the rollout is is so daunting long that then that and that ramp up. You know how much value they could have lifted off the table in that time frame. And when you think about all the stack of things you can prioritize in your in your SaaS business, this is usually not one of them. This the exactly. pricing infrastructure just kind of you know everything takes real time and money, right? Let's be real. So nobody's sitting around with looking for stuff to do, and so it's a. It's actually kind of a hard choice to kind of move that up the ladder and say, no, we're, we're going to do this. And even though the benefit isn't like right in front of our face right away, we're going to see that benefit time and time again because it's going to allow us to accelerate value capture. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when when products typically start and then we can you know go into the tactical things, but just to leave the, the viewers with this one comment, you know, it's really easy to take these engineer friendly payment processing systems and just plug them in and then say, hey, you know what? We've got smart engineers. We're just going to have them build subscription management capabilities and everything will hum and, you know, we'll scale from there. That, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I think that's a very valid thing to do. But you fast forward to where we are today, the choices of subscription managers you have off the shelf to buy, the choices of sort of entitlement systems that you have to buy that can plug into all the payment processors. It behooves you to think about that architecture logically at this point in time because of the choices and the evolution of 
monetization infrastructure that has fast forwarded to where we are today, that you kind of have to sort of question the status quo behavior of the past and sort of see if you can do things differently. Because again, I understand for a lot of you know founders that you know success is to be determined, but you know you kind of have to assume success and sort of think that way. And I think if you can do it at scale early on, the better off you'll be. So leaving you with that last comment around infrastructure, but let's yeah, let's get into what did we do, right? You know, first step for us, like to me, was just shut up, listen, and learn, right? And I had to listen um, from various different vantage points. Number one, customers, which was not an easy task because we we're very heterogeneous customer base. So we had to do, you know, multiple rounds of sort of interviews, conversations, surveys to ensure we're getting the right population and, you know, sample that is truly representative of the heterogeneous customer base that Calendly had. Secondly is no regret, internal folks. We've got the frontline teams, the sales team, the success team that hear a lot from prospects and customers. Let's go talk to them. Let's go find out what they're hearing, what the pulse is. And that one's a little controversial, though, because I've been talking to some companies who are like, well, why aren't our people biased? Aren't they skewed? I mean, they don't they always talk about, like, you, you know, yeah, while your own opinion is interesting, you should be talking to customers. Tell me a little bit about why the internal viewpoint was was important for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in any research exercise, you're looking for signals and any sort of things to go off of, right? So if you stop at just interviewing internal folks, then you're getting potentially skewed biased points of view. But those internal folks will give you sort of signals to unpack further and understand, right? But if you just stop there, then I absolutely agree with the statement of, you're just going off of biased opinions and just internal sort of cognitive biases. But if you balance that out with customers, if you balance that out with, you know, you can go as far as, you know, other competitive products and reaching out to their networks and pricing folks and, and peers in the SaaS just to understand how are you all thinking about pricing just to sort of bring different vantage points to it. I guess the punchline ends up being just don't stop there. You've got to get a balanced perspective. And at this point in time, we're just gathering feedback to understand what's there. My other favorite source is also beyond just talking to customers directly, support tickets. Let's go look at what's what's all the data. And in today's world where you've got generative AI that you know you can feed it all this information and say, give me a summary of any sort of billing support related things, as opposed to during that time we were Excel spreadsheets trying to look at the text and sort of tag and and do things. But I think we've come a long way there. So yeah, those, those shut up, listen, and learn. Just boss, like that last one, that last one, everyone listening, everyone listening, right, can get an export of those support tickets, all that context, run it through AI, doesn't matter which one, chat, GPT, whatever, and ask it a few questions, summarize and pull out some insights. And that can tell you a lot of things. It can tell you where the value is, where, where it's not, what's the next move, like all those key things to really feed in. And it's something I think folks listening here can do in a matter of days. So that's a golden one. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, also the other thing I like about just starting internally is just, again, we started with a kernel of a hypothesis. Again, let's go look for that feedback. What I love about all that is just Monday, I launch a survey. By the end of the week, I can have a PowerPoint deck with the feedback from the survey, right? So rapid, agile, let's go get stuff as opposed to it, customers can be that easy as well, but like that's a little bit more of a journey of making sure you have the right representative set. And that can take a little bit longer than just a week, right? Yeah, keeping it nimble, keeping it quick doesn't have to take six, eight, nine months, right? You can do this thing 
in a rapid, more, a faster way. And I love that because I think folks find it daunting. Like, man, can I really, I'm so busy. My plate is overflowing. Can I even dedicate some time to even do this? Yeah. Uh, if you break it down enough, just the way you were talking about it, Srinivas, I think they yeah. can. So, um, so that was a very rich rewind in history there, man. If you, and you touched on the hypothesis, the guiding light, the infrastructure, the listen and shut up. But of all, of everything you did, man, is there one, key thing the audience should remember before we move on to uh to play to the uh, to the current times anything they should remember in that regard yeah, absolutely i think one is while you're gathering that data obviously be mindful of biases look for the have a clear hypothesis have a set of objectives absent that you're just sort of you know it's a it's just a minefield of a lot of information so it can detract you from your core mission so just be mindful of that and then, yeah, I think, you know, not to harp on it more, but like the monetization infrastructure, you know, if you're, if you're assuming success of whatever the findings are, you're going to hit that at some point in time. If you can, you know, spend some amount of capacity saying, you know, Hey, if our pricing and packaging looked like this, you know, after this entire strategic effort, well, how long would that take to implement? And just start getting some of that, you know, information early on, just so you can plan for it. Like we talked about earlier. Man, I, I cannot help myself, right? I mean, from hype to hypothesis, right? Get going. I love the, the mindset. The thing you said a minute ago around assume success, plan for that, right? Which I think is also key. And then I love, I, I love just being mindful of the minefield, right? And being able to, to plan around that. I mean, you are, I'm telling you, you're full of it in a good way because you have so much good, good information. Let's bring it now to present day, present day. Play, what is working right now, present day? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So if we were to fast forward, you know, we successfully implemented the pricing change. We were able to successfully migrate all the existing customer base, um, still staying on that episode of Calendly. So when we talk about present, we're sort of going back in time and, and calling that present for a second. You know, I think it's, it's, we were able to successfully do that. We impacted the unit economics very favorably. Um, we actually, uh, hit the targets that we all financially modeled and, and whatever else. And, you know, at the time during, during that uh, aligned to the objectives, we hit all of those core objectives that we were after. So we ended up landing, you know, keeping that sacred freemium offering, but we were able to successfully add some new packages and then also bring on a, enterprise sales oriented package that had a lot more sales support service sort of elements that are value metrics that I think sometimes are also underappreciated as value metrics. So it's not just your product features, but how do you decompose uh, pre-sales, post-sales, service experiences, things like that, and you know segregate your packages along those lines as well. Yeah, that's a fantastic point too. It's not just about the value, but how they get it, right? Yeah. And then all those things wrap around it count uh count a lot man Absolutely. so it worked you stri you're striking that balance right between the that freemium that viral network there on one end and you also um, are moving harder into uh upper mid enterprise areas yeah. a very hard tricky balance to strike and you did it and you did it with also a huge base that you had to be very careful not to not to disrupt man fabulous and we also yeah, and we also did it. I can't, you know, I'd be remiss not to call out the cross-functional partners that we had to bring together to actually make it happen, right? Everybody was very supportive, came along the change journey. We met on a weekly basis. I was the driver of it. We had program management in place to really help us sort of make sure all the parts and pieces were coming together. I mean, you're talking, how do I make sure customer success knows how to talk about the new pricing model if 
a legacy customer is asking about it. If, you know, somebody's interested in the new packaging and, you know, whatever, the enablement tools needed for CS, for sales, the monetization engineering teams, you know, managing go lives. And there's a lot that happened there, but I'd be remiss not to call out all the cross-functional partners that made it happen. It's a team sport. No, no doubt is a team sport. A good captain can help get it over the line. But it is absolutely a, an effort with everyone included. So that very big, important point there. So let's go into future. Fast forward. What is next? What's coming up? Talk about, you know, maybe changes down the line or what you're thinking. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of a few things that we did during that time, and then we'll talk about, you know, experiences at Tropic to date as well. You know, in the future, you know, we knew when we wanted to make this a discipline. We wanted to not just stop at doing the one pricing change, but making it a habit of one, just discussing it, what's working, what's not working across all the different channels, across all the different, you know, go to market motions, even existing customers were still sort of being, you know, transitioned into the new model. So making sure we had a forum to talk about that. So I ended up at the time hiring a senior pricing manager. So somebody who's full-time dedicated to driving these things, doing the analysis, uh, bringing other teams together, supporting the product team on making sure they understood what the methodology was to figure out set new product feature, where should it go in the pricing and plans. Because, you know, I love product people. I used to be a product manager myself. I know I want to goalpost myself on how many users are using this and adopting and engaging with this thing. So the tendency is always like, give it away to everybody, right? But like, right. there has to be that opposing force that's pulling it back saying, well, let's really understand what the willingness to pay is. What's the value? So I hired somebody successfully, put them in the role, started sort of stitching together processes to integrate with the product development process, instituting a pricing committee that meets quarterly to talk about pricing at least, and then also setting setting the goalpost or milestone to constantly think about pricing and let's make changes. Right? Srinivas, my viewers will throw tomatoes at me if I don't ask you this question, okay? Yeah. How did you find that senior pricing manager? Because that is such an elusive role. It's so hard to fit. How'd you find? Take 30 seconds. doesn't have to be that long. How did you find that person? Yeah, it took a lot of, you know, it's easy to write the JD and say, here's all the purple squirrel, you know, things I'm looking for, right? Yeah. But it took a lot of me really scouting LinkedIn and really looking at various different companies, you know, within SaaS, outside of SaaS, you know, and I was even sort of struggling to find the right person. So I had to go through that experience of, let me talk to some people outside of SaaS as well. And are there portable skills that I can bring over here? Because the pool of SaaS people are very limited and the ones that are there are very senior. So really trying to find that right person was challenging, right? But I got super lucky. And after going through that process for a while, you know, found somebody, but it takes a lot of LinkedIn scouting. Uh, it was a grind. I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. Uh, that's super value stuff here. And just to, just to take us home, man, because you went through a full blown end to end thoughtful journey. And listen, if I was uh, sitting down, if I was a SaaS founder listening to this today, freaking, you know, write up those notes or turn on that, that AI <laughs> note taker and, and start producing some summaries, right? A lot of good stuff just packed in here today. But my biggest question of all looming behind the scenes here since the beginning is tell me that favorite song of yours, man. Growing up, 
what was the favorite song? Bonus if it was hip hop in the 90s, because that was where I grew up. But. Yeah, well, I'm going to take you top of the decade. LL Cool J, Mama Said Knock You Out. Ooh, ooh I just heard that jam on doing, doing one of my workouts the other day. It pumped yeah. me up, man. I got that last extra rep just because it was on. Yeah, it's an amazing song. I love LL Cool J. I also, it was a choice between that and uh, Jay-Z, Money Ain't a Thing, and Jermaine Dupri, Money Ain't a Thing. But, you know, had to go with top of the decade for the 90s. <laughs> That's got to be your Atlanta roots right there with JD over there. But that is that for me, listen, um, great choices all the way and just phenomenal that you were able to come today and share all the great things you did at Calendly, some of the things on, you know, I'm thinking about Tropic and kind of how that fits into the picture of infrastructure. That makes a ton of sense. And I can see why you're so excited about working there. So, so everyone listening today, please listen to this a few times, take some notes, run it through your AI, whatever it is, and learn something, apply something. Yes, this is where a lot of the real talk in street adds the value. So for everyone here today, thank you for joining us. And you know, please take this information, use it, and uh, stop that guessing and start growing. Until next time, we'll have you back. Much love for listening to the Street Pricing Podcast with Marcos Rivera. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to like and subscribe. If you want to learn more about capturing value, pick up a copy of Street Pricing on Amazon. Until next time.